All right, Bankless Nation, I am here with Arjun Bhutani, who is a project lead at Connex. And Connex has been with Ethereum almost every step of the way since uh, the early days before even I got into Ethereum. And Connex has been uh, tinkering and working with different ways to help Ethereum scale in a very specific way. And so we are going to get into that introduction, what Connex is, what it's doing now, because there is a whole new frontier that Connex fits into, which is the worlds of L2 as well. And so Arjun, welcome to uh, welcome to the Bankless Nation. Thanks so much, David. Let's get into it. Let's where did Connect start and what has it's been like original goal and original aspirations as a project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, we started Connect in 2017. So we have been around for quite a while. Um, this is before like the first uh, ICO bubble and like boom, that made everything crazy. Um, we, we originally started Connect with just this like goal of uh, trying to get Ethereum into the hands of as many people as possible. Um, so trying to make it as usable, as user-friendly, and as easy to like interact with as possible. So that way people can 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 use this new infrastructure because we have this like firm belief that Ethereum and other kinds of decentralized infrastructure are like uh, are going to be like one of the most equalizing forces in our society today. We started out by we actually started doing something completely completely different. So we were we were originally a credit card processing uh, API. Uh, we started working with Visa and MasterCard, trying to get uh, basically allow people to buy tokens directly with cards, um, and uh, and that was that was going well until based, until like the you know 2018 CryptoKitties craziness happened, um, at which point we uh, the 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 interest in the space changed dramatically. The uh, the like um, both from it from like a like a scalability standpoint, and then also from like. Uh, the way that regulators regulators perceived it, and so like a lot of the conversations that we've been having with regulators and movies and Mastercard changed from like, oh, this is really interesting to like, oh, most of the things you're going to be buying are a scam, which at the time was actually fair. Um, uh, so we we ended up pivoting a bit because we we realized that uh, our own customers were dealing with like, uh, or at least the the, the customers that we planned to integrate with were dealing with other problems associated with scalability, which were just much more pressing than even uh, being able to get to the point where cards was was an option. Um, and we started working with Spankchain uh, at the time uh, on, on state channels. Um, uh, Amin kind of helped open this whole world of state channels up for us. And we, we shipped the first ever non-custodial payment channel hub on Ethereum uh, in partnership with Spankchain in like, like end of summer 2018. Um, Arjun, I actually want to cut you off there because I, I, this is actually starting to, to be a history of Ethereum that I, I'm familiar with. So I want to add, add my own commentaries. And so before, before the ICO mania, which really peaked in the late stages of 2017, people understood what Ethereum could do. At a, at a very high level, right? And people understood like, okay, we have this new primitive ERC-20 tokens. Uh, we don't really know what they can be, but we know that they can be really cool stuff. Uh, they can be currencies. They can be, they can be uh, you know, what we now know as DeFi tokens. They can really be anything. People didn't really know, but people knew that people were going to be using tokens to, to transact and that people would need to be able to purchase these tokens. So it sounded like Connect started off with like, all right, well, people are going to need to be able to buy these tokens to play in the apps, right? We don't know what the tokens that they are going to want to buy. We don't know what the apps are that they're going to want to do, but they're going to need to buy tokens. So we know tokens are like an integral part of Ethereum. And so you guys were trying to bridge payment, payment processors, Visa, into purchasing tokens. Yet the evolution of tokens kind of did a rug pull on you. We're like, well, some of these tokens are going to be either scams or securities or mm -hmm. something else, right? And so the, there was a pivot to... Um, 
payments directly on Ethereum, which is what you guys were doing with uh, with SpankChain. And SpankChain, uh, it's, it's an for those that probably haven't been paying attention since 2017 or 2018, listeners are probably like, what the hell is this SpankChain thing? <laughs> SpankChain is Amin Soleimani's project, which is trying to democratize access uh, for sex workers to sell their products on Ethereum. They are typically a very censored industry mm-hmm. uh, and using uh, Ethereum L1 for uh, payments natively on Ethereum it's kind of cumbersome, which is where Connect comes back into play. So I, I kind of just wanted to give that little bit of history and context for the listeners. Would you say that was accurate? And would you add anything onto that history? No, I, I think that's perfectly accurate. Um, and, and you know, I think the only thing I would add is that, like, um, I think a big part of what drove us to, to work with Spankchain was just this, like, belief in um, in the way that, like, like that, that industry is really just quintessentially perfect for, for crypto, right? Like it's a, it's an industry where there's just been widespread exploitation as a result of like not having good access to payment infrastructure. And like, that's the whole reason that this industry was created in the first place. Um, and I would also say quintessentially perfect for Connext because you guys are specifically with payments, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were. Um, so that's actually, that brings me to kind of our next, the next leg of our journey. And it, it has been a bit of a journey because uh, the narrative for Ethereum, the narrative for Connects, and uh, overall, just the way that this technology has evolved has really changed over the last few years. Um, so, at, you know, at the time when we were building state channels, there were really no other options for scalability. Like Plas- even at the time, Plasma didn't even exist. So, um, and like rollups were, had, had, not, had not been conceived of. It, it would be years before rollups were conceived of. The um, word was not uttered. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we, uh, we we started working with with folks within the space, uh, basically, basically early early pioneers that were interested in, in like integrating um, scalability solutions. Uh, MetaMask was actually really really helpful with this. We we integrated uh, a feature to MetaMask called InstaPay, which is basically like Venmo like interactions on MetaMask Mobile. Um, uh, but we we kind of kept running into these these issues with like. Uh, you know, with payments in general. And, the, and I think this is something that a lot of people who have tried to do payments on Ethereum and payments in, in crypto in general have found that like, actually the crypto payment space um, is really, really difficult to break into uh, because as it turns out, most of the, a big part of the reason why people were using crypto at the time was actually this new space called DeFi. Um, that was right when DeFi was starting to take off and right when people were starting to pay attention to it. Um, and, and arguably, that's that's actually the, the main reason why we've ended up in the position where we are today, where once again, like 20, 2017, 2018, uh, now Ethereum gas costs are skyrocketing, block space is, is really, really scarce. And we have these, in, in, unlike, unlike in 2018, we actually have these like legitimate use cases that people are using every single day um, associated with decentralized finance. Um, so uh, one thing that we, we ended up doing uh, over the course of the last couple of years was like, uh, there, there were a lot of open questions for us. Um, there's open questions around state channels. So how, what are the right ways to actually build these things? And people, you know, despite the fact that these things have been talked about for a long time, there are really important practical like engineering problems with them. Um, and then two, what is the, what was the real narrative for, for state channels? Because it, it didn't seem like payments was the narrative, right? It seemed like um, scale, when people were thinking about scalability, they weren't just thinking, okay, well, let's make payments specifically faster. They were thinking, let's make, take Uniswap or like other kinds of Ethereum based applications and run them in an environment, which is exactly the same as what exists right now, but just right. uh, with lower costs. Let's make everything faster, not just payments. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we, um, we went through a bit of like an identity crisis, to be honest, for, for a little bit, because we, we needed to figure out where, where, um, state channels and where we fit into this broader ecosystem. Um, and then in, uh, and can I cut you off again? Yeah, um, no can we take a moment to, uh, actually define what state channels are? 
Yes. Uh, yeah, that's actually a good, good, good thing to do. So a state channel is basically a way to batch up a bunch of transactions um, that are happening on, on a blockchain. So uh, a really, really, really simple example is, um, uh, you know, the quintess this is this is an, an overused beating the dead horse example. But Let me guess, bar tab. Bar tab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the bar tab example is just great because it's like it, it is exactly what a state channel is, right? You you go to uh, a bar, you give them your card, and so you're basically like locking up your funds with them. Uh, they have the ability to take your funds if you if you don't uh, pay them. Right. And they've uh, got or, the collateral, right? They've exactly. got the card. Exactly. And uh, and uh, and then what you do is you basically just tell you buy drinks and you you add to your tab. And at the end of the the night, you just close out your tab and you pay like one transaction for all of your drinks. Um, same core concept applies here. Like a really, really stupidly simple payment channel would be like uh, a two out of two multi-sig. Um, I put, you know, between you and me, David, and I put, I put like $10 into it. And then instead of sending you like a hundred 10 cent transactions on chain, I send you like a hundred signatures um, and each signature just updates my balance and gives you the ability to withdraw more and more money from this thing. Um, and, okay. Uh, so, so for context, for, for super new listeners, What's really cool about public private key cryptography is you can, using your private key, you can make a transaction, but not necessarily deploy it to Ethereum. You can make that transaction and then hand it off to someone else and be like, all right, here's my transaction. And because you've signed it with your private key, you, you, it's a legitimate transaction. So anyone can cash that transaction into ethereum and so you like sometimes maybe some some users of their ledger or metamask have uh, have run into this where like instead of asking to make a transaction on ethereum with gas costs they just ask you to sign something and this is a very common like way to log into websites is that you just sign something which proves that you are the owner of said wallet right and so this is how a a bar tab on ethereum would work in a state channel where you sign a transaction, but instead of deploying it to Ethereum, you hand it to your counterparty. And that's the bar, bar tab that you guys have um, between you guys, uh, between the two parties. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, honestly, signatures are just cryptographic magic. They, are, they underpin everything that happens in the space and then also pretty much everything that happens on the internet. So it's, it's pretty, pretty important. Um, so yeah, we... we um, uh, fast forward to, uh, I think late last year, um, I think it was about like September of 2020. Um, we, uh, we, uh, there was this, uh, uh, there's all of this, like, uh, basically, basically like a, I think it was like September of 2020 Reddit announced, um, that they were going to do like a bake-off, like scalability bake-off, um, to figure out whether or not like they could deploy their stuff on Ethereum and to what scalability solution to use. Um, and that was a really, really interesting, uh, call to action for not just for the broader scalability community, but also for us specifically, because we started looking out at Reddit's requirements and started looking out at the kinds of things that other people were building and realized, okay, like if we want to do this with state channels, we're going to have to build a really, really custom thing. And that was a big part of the problem that we'd been running into with other customers too, was every single time we went to go integrate state channels, it was ending up being like a really custom thing. So it was taking months to get, to get them onboarded. Um, and, uh, and so we actually said, okay, well, instead of trying to compete with all these solutions on something, doing something that we're probably not gonna be as good at, um, you know, like you could, you could deploy an EVM compatible rollup and you could run all the, like the Reddit requirements, scalability requirements on that rollup. And you could do that in the same way that you run them on Ethereum. So uh, why, why would you ever use a really custom built piece of software for it? Um, and, uh, and so we, we decided instead of competing with these, with these other options, why not collaborate with them? 
Um, and we, we had been playing around with this idea of what if you used state channels as a mechanism to communicate between different layer two scalability solutions. Um, and the way that this works is that um, with, with state channels, you can do something called hop transactions. So, uh, you know, David, you and I have a channel with each other. Uh, you know, you and I have a bar tab with each other and then uh, uh, you have a bar tab with somebody else. Um, let's say Bob. Um, if I want to interact with Bob, basically what I can do is instead of, um, it, it's sort of like the Havala system where like I can pay you in order to pay Bob. And because of, again, the magic of cryptography and the magic of signatures, we can do that in a way where my transaction to you doesn't unlock until you complete your transaction to Bob. Um, now that actually- Atomic, is, it's an atomic transaction, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now that core concept is actually super powerful for going across chains because there's no real requirement that my transaction to you has to happen on the same chain as your transaction to Bob. And that's really kind of the secret sauce here is that, um, you can use connects channels and you can use the existing hopped transactions that we're already doing and that even, even other channel systems like the Lightning Network do. You can take that exact same construction, deploy it on a bunch of different chains and use it to transfer value across chains. And effectively, what you're doing is you're doing a swap with somebody who is an intermediary who's a, who's a liquidity provider. So in this case, David, you would be the liquidity provider. Um, so we, we took this concept and we turned it into a- I'm gonna cut you off again. When you say yeah. across chains, how, what, what kind of chains are we talking about? Are we just talking about rollups and or things that all settle back to Ethereum? Or are we talking about between Ethereum, Cosmos and Polkadot? Like what, what kind of scope are the, of these chains are we talking about? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because you can, so you can run lightning on Bitcoin, obviously. Um, and, uh, and you can also run lightning style transfers on connects because we're, we're sort of a more generalized system. So we can support any kind of abstract conditional transfer, a little bit more te technology magic there, but like um, the core idea is that like, because Ethereum is more expressive, we can just do a lot more with it. And because we can support lightning style transfers, you could do, you could build this with lightning too. And you could build like a connection from lightning into connects. And there's actually people who are doing this. Um, and so you could, uh, you can do these kinds of cross chain transfers between EVM compatible chains, um, and with a little bit of additional work, you can also do them to things like Bitcoin, uh, to ZK rollups, to uh, Cosmos, to really just anything. You could even do it to a bank account, uh, which is so. So we could bridge like optimist, optimistic rollups, ZK rollups. So we could bridge the loop ring ZK rollups with Binance Smart Chain via a Connect payment network. Yes, exactly. Very cool. And uh, Very in fact, cool. that's actually happening. So we we've been uh, we have users that are currently doing transfers between like. Uh, Matic, XDAI, and Binance. Um, and we have, uh, you know, we've done uh, as part of our, actually as part of our demo for the Reddit scalability challenge, um, we, we shipped a demo that had support out of the box for uh, Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, Scale, Matic, XDAI, and one other one. Uh, I don't remember. I, I so many, was... so many that you've forgotten one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and it, was, it was really easy because basically like our core contracts can be deployed anywhere. Um, you know, of course, for non-EVM compatible stuff, we need to like write a bit of a custom implementation, but like the core ideas are, are the exact same everywhere. And, uh, and so it didn't, from our perspective, it doesn't really matter what chain you're connected to, uh, which is, which is really cool. Um, so that, that makes connects relatively blockchain agnostic, right? Like you just kind of care where, where the liquidity is, where the demand is, where the people want to transact are. Exactly. Yeah. And so this kind of makes connect something closer to like middleware or like inter, inter blockchain where would you accept those the, that terminology? Yes, exactly. And, and I think that's that's our mental model as well is that there's this like new middleware stack of 
protocols that's that's appearing uh, that that basically uh, are a bunch of protocols that are used across all of these different chains and and like form like a baseline set of utilities that that are like the backbone of DeFi and, and of a lot of these other uh, like a lot of the things that a lot of the innovation that's happening and like other protocols that fall into this example include Link and the Graph, for instance. Um, and they all have the same strategy. They're all trying to deploy to as many chains as possible to be this like agnostic like network that mm -hmm. allows you to to have the same information everywhere. Um, Very yeah. cool. I'd like to get your opinion on different middleware strategies because this is what connects has is one strategy but uh cosmos also comes to mind uh and maybe polka dot does as well but maybe less so than cosmos but like cosmos is a blockchain and it's like a network of blockchains like an internet of blockchains and that's also kind of what matic tries to position itself as yep. too so how how would you compare and contrast the pros and cons of a Cosmos or and and Ren Ren the Ren protocol is also a great middleware system for inter blockchain communication. How would you compare and contrast Cosmos Ren and Connects and if you could talk about the pros and cons of each? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a bunch of different approaches out there for interoperability, and we we know that we're going into this space that's like actually been worked on for quite a while, and we have something that we think is very unique because it has very very good trust trade-offs um, and because it's very flexible. But uh, we also exist know that there's an existing body of work here. Um, there's there's a few different approaches, and I'll just like kind of cover them all independently. So there's you mentioned Ren. Um, that's one of the approaches where you have some sort of uh, like MPC multi-party computation thing, basically just a bunch of people like mutually agreeing uh, to see that a certain asset was locked up on one chain and then you're minting it on another chain. And so you get you get things like wrapped BTC or TBTC, things like that that are um, that are basically just like a representation of BTC on Ethereum that can be used as part of Ethereum's DeFi ecosystem. Um, those things are really cool. Um, however, any kind of MPC system. So first of all, th those things are really interesting for uh, bringing those like that kind of value to a specific chain. And we think that there's a really, really important role that that plays. Um, we, when we think of interoperability, we typically think of like, okay, I, I am a user and I want to interact with an application that's on a different chain. And so things like TBTC and WBTC don't solve that problem. Um, but instead, uh, the problem that they solve is being able to actually use these things in other environments because you can't run De DeFi on Bitcoin. Um, now, there are trade-offs there. Uh, the trade-off there is that right now, there really isn't a trustless way to do that um, at all. Like, pretty much necessarily, uh, this is the, the same problem with like ThorChain and other kinds of things. Like, necessarily, your validator set is going to be smaller than the validator set of Ethereum. So like the security that you have using these protocols is necessarily going to be lower than the security of Ethereum or of Bitcoin, it's going to be the security of the protocol itself, um, and you have to consider what that means. So, like, you know, if if uh, if there's a hundred million dollars worth of of BTC minted on Ren protocol, um, then uh, and like the the economic backing of Ren protocol is only ten million dollars, then now there's a huge incentive for for Ren to rug pull everybody. Um, so that's that's like a, a risk there. Um, you then have other approaches like Cosmos, um, like Cosmos uh, IBC and stuff like that. And those are actually really cool because um, that is actually truly native, like interchain communication use, usable for like chain to chain contract calls and things like that. And that's actually some of the same core concepts around like cross-linking with ETH2 shards when the ETH2 uh, roadmap wasn't like more around focused around rollups, it was more focused around like actual shards. Um, and, uh, and I think that's really interesting, but then it, it that also makes a, a few assumptions. So like Cosmos works because 
Cosmos and Polkadot work because all Cosmos and Polkadot chains are like the same. They have they they ship with the same like core functionality, and the miners are mining this uh, this chain, which has built-in functionality to accept information from other chains. Ethereum chains don't have that. They they just they aren't built that way. Um, and the other the other piece of that is that that is kind of we, we kind of think of interoperability as also having its own like stack. So we think of that as like layer one interoperability, where like you have these like on-chain interactions that are happening. And we're kind of a layer two where we sit on top of all of that. So like you you could use something like Cosmos or so, basically some mechanism of like really truly trustless on-chain communication. Um, you can use that as a way to like rebalance liquidity within Connects, um, but that doesn't negate the reason to have Connects to begin with. And in general, Connects will be faster and cheaper than those options. It, it will be like, uh, you know, if you, if you today, I think I was, I was talking to, um, James Prestwich about this, and he, he, we were talking about like the possibilities of building uh, bridges to other EVM compatible chains like Zello and things like that. And, and we were talking about what it what it looks like in a POS system. And um, while it's possible, you would end up using like the vast majority of the gas in a block just to do a single transaction. So like it's it's definitely not something that you would do for each user every single time they make a transfer. Okay, so so, so to recap, uh, Cosmos and Ren, these are really great for. Uh, like you said, L1 communications, which means porting over assets from one blockchain to another, which is specifically not what Connects does. Connects just manages value transfer, which is independent, agnostic to the assets, right? And so while with Connects, you know, Bitcoin on the Lightning Network will stay as Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, and then whatever the ending chain is that will all those things will stay separate but we can still pass value we can still exactly. make transactions between these things exactly. uh, and so these are not these are not com really competitive at all these are just different ways of having communication between blockchains um, exactly. and that that communication between blockchains and also rollups is also i think really important and mm -hmm. that's kind of what i what i want to turn to next because a huge amount of concern perhaps mm -hmm. about both sharding and also uh, a, a, a many roll-up environment has brought in the concern of the lack of composability or the lack of interoperability or the lack of fractured liquidity, right? And so if, uh, if Uniswap is on the optimistic roll-ups, uh, that is taking away from the liquidity that is on the loop ring roll-up, which is on a ZK roll-up. So if things are on across separate roll-ups, people mm -hmm. are concerned that there will be less liquidity. Um, can you talk about how Connects can help with roll-up to roll-up uh, communication? And if it does, could you also talk about roll-up back to Ethereum main chain communication? Absolutely. Um, so, oh, it's a big topic. Um, so, I think I think one thing that people, I, I think one thing that's not super clear to people right now is that in general, when when people think about rollups and their two scalability, they think of it as like kind of a civil rollup solution, where like either of two things happens: either you have like one rollup that be, that is just like the singular rollup, and that is the layer two, um, or you have many rollups, and but they'll be able to like interact with each other, um, and. I think both of those things are are kind of false. Um, the one rollup ecosystem doesn't make a lot of sense because uh, if you only have one rollup and everybody is validating that one rollup, all you've done is really just like increase the cost of validating uh, transactions on Ethereum. And at that point, pretty much what you could do is just like increase the gas limit, and it would be the same same it's, outcome. Yeah, it's antithetical, yeah. right? Exactly. Um, and uh, and then even in the multi rollup paradigm, I think something that people don't understand is that like we are living in a very privileged world right now because um, all of our transactions on Ethereum are synchronous. So like when you make a transaction, you, you are going to get back a response in that same block. Uh, but that's not really how like 
any system on the internet in, in production works, right? Like all systems on the internet are actually asynchronous because you can't really track the communication between these systems. And let's, let's define that real quick, asynchronous and synchronous. So synchronous means that all clocks are tuned to the exact same time by law, right? And asynchronous means like, well, this one system will do its thing and this other system will do its thing. And I think the, the fact that we call them asynchronous means that they aren't synced, right? But even communicating that means that they are actually connected somehow. So like, you know, asynchronous is like, well, each are independent, but they are still uh, independent, uh, dependent systems ultimately. Maybe you could elaborate on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like a, a good example would be like um, when you make a Google search, right? So like you connect to google.com and uh, if you, I mean, otherwise you just type it into your search bar, but um, you connect to google.com and uh, and it opens up the page and then you, you actually submit the request for a search. Um, when you do that, Google has like internal systems where um, it's it's a it's a massive distributed system, right? They have they have like a bunch of computing servers, then they have like databases, and they have all these other things. And so Google has to go and like fetch all of that data for you, and it takes time to do that. So it, it's not like you query something from Google, and then uh, like the second that you that that request hits Google, it now responds back to you. Now there's this like further step of Google needing to go get data from its databases, and then perhaps needing to go get further data from other people, other parties. And so on the internet in general, this is kind of how communication works. You have, you have like requests and then those requests propagate further requests and so on and so forth. And you don't, if you're a server and you're making a request, you don't know when you're going to get a response. And so you don't want to like, you don't want to just stop operating uh, in that time. You want to continue doing other things because you don't know if a response will even come back. Uh, on a blockchain, what this means is that um, right now, when you do it, do something on chain, it, takes one block. So like an, it, like a Uniswap swap takes like one block. And at the end of that block, you're going to, you're going to get back a response. Um, we're going to have to fundamentally change that paradigm for a lot of things where now you might have to send a transaction. Um, and then that transaction may kick off other transactions on other chains. Um, and then at some point in the future, you'll have to know that you'll have to like collect data from those other chains and know, okay, things finished over there. Let me now send a uh, completion transaction back on the main chain that I was interacting with to finish whatever I was doing. Right, um, the final output. And I, and I do want to harp on this point one more time because like under a world where the internet is one massive synchronous system, that means that the internet is completely centralized somehow, right? Like there's the only way that that could be true is if the internet was actually just one single database, which yes. means it wouldn't be the internet, it would be something else, right? And so like there is like this juxtaposition behind like Ethereum is this decentralized protocol, but there's just Ethereum, it's centralized on itself, right? And so there could be other chains that are not just Ethereum that are what we are calling asynchronous that move independently. And that independence is anti-fragility, right? Like right. not having uh, dependence on one canonical just clock allows other, app, uh, other L2s, other applications to optimize in what they want to do and do that thing best and not have to be dependent on other systems. And it's that asynchronous that allows for flexibility and scale. Mm -hmm. Yet now we have this problem, which Connects is trying to solve, which is interoperability and liquidity and just value transfer. Exactly. So um, that brings us to this like bigger liquidity question. So like when we, when we think about interoperability and communication stuff, like a big thing that we're concerned with right now is just like transferring value. Um, you can use Connects to call contracts across chains too, but that's something that like uh, there's people working on it, but we haven't really like 
prioritized it as much just because we think it's like the 80-20 case where like transferring value and swapping value is going to be like 80% of the usage. Um, so that brings us to this really interesting question around like, okay, well, how do you, if I have money on Arbitrum and I want to uh, call a Uniswap contract on Optimism or I want to swap, send money to somebody on Optimism, how do I do that? Um, and with the existing mechanisms, what you would have to do is like exit your money from Arbitrum, which takes a week, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then onboard your money into Optimism. Uh, in both cases, you're paying like L1 gas costs and you're waiting a week to do it. Um, I think realistically, no user is ever going to do that. And it kind of breaks the whole point of scale. Like, oh, okay, great. Like this actually, I, I have scale here, but if I want to go over there, then I have to go back through the congested part and I have to do it twice. Right, exactly. Um, so instead, uh, what you can do with Connects is just swap value in place on Arbitrum for value in place on Optimism. Um, and the mechanism here is kind of like Uniswap, where it's like you have like uh, basically kind of taking a step back to where, where we had talked about earlier, where you as a, you, David, in this transfer from me to Bob, you were this intermediary who's a liquidity provider. Uh, we call those liquidity providers routers. Um, so you would have a router that has liquidity pools on Optimism and a router that has liquidity pools on Arbitrum. And uh, that router would be giving a swap price between those two liquidity pools. And you as a user would be able to pretty much exactly the same way as you do with Uniswap today, swap, you know, uh, uh, USDC on Arbitrum for USDC on, on Optimism um, or on Ethereum or really on any other, other system that we can support. Um, and and, and then, in theory, USDC on Optimism or Ether on Arbitrum or, or any other asset. There's no reason exactly. why it can be a transfer of assets as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's definitely something that's pretty interesting as well. It's like you, you, um, you know, we, for the most part, most people have been thinking of, of like cross-chain transfers as like, uh, you know, I have US, I have USDC or I have ETH here and I want that ETH over here. But in reality, to us, at least, it doesn't really matter what the asset is. We, we just define some swap rate between these pools and, um, and uh, you could do like ETH to USDC, you could do, you know, whatever fund token to something else, uh, whatever you'd like. Okay, so the, the calculus for a user would be like, all right, I'm on Optimism, Uniswap Optimism, and I want, want to get to Arbitrum, and I want to get my assets to, our, uh, to, to that L2. So got to make a transaction that gets me off of the Uniswap Optimistic rollups back onto Ethereum. That takes me uh, up to two weeks or something crazy like that, which, and it also costs me gas. And then I have to make an L1 transaction to get over to the Arbitrum L2, which is another transaction, but I'm already on the L1. So that could be one block, but that could also be a large gas fee. Uh, and then I'm back into the Arbitrum L2, which I think happens instantly, but definitely costs more gas. But then once I'm there, I'm, if I ever want to leave, it's going to be another two weeks. And yep, so exactly. let's see, two, two gas fees and two weeks versus a connect system where instead you find an intermediary, which this can be protocolized. And uh, using me as the example, I would be the intermediary. I say, look, well, you have your ether on the optimistic rollup on Uniswap and you would like it to be on, op on optimism. I have ether on both sides and you can give me your one ETH on this side and I'll give you 0.99 ETH on that side and it will happen instantly. And you'll probably save on gas and you'll definitely save on two weeks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a massive cost saving. Cause like mm -hmm. even, I mean, uh, even if we charge like Uniswap style fees where I think it, it's like 0.3% or something like that, um, you still end up saving like 10, $20 on gas, <laughs> which is crazy. And that should be really lucrative for market makers who yes. would be like to, well, 
you know, I can charge even more than Uniswap because I'm saving people on gas, right? Depending yep. on the fee size. My, my, my question is how do you manage orders? And, or like if, if there are many different competing liquidity providers, how does a market rate come, come out and how do people find each other? How do, how do markets get matched? Yes, that is a very, very good question. So um, where we are right now is we allow people to spin up like their own individual routers. Um, routers can connect to like as many chains as they'd like um, and, you, and they define their own swap rates and you can kind of like swap over this router. Um, that's kind of the like V0 solves the bare bones problem implementation. But the idea is that you can take this atomic component and um, turn it into what is effectively like a marketplace. Um, so the, the, the way that you, you kind of solve those problems that you mentioned, where it's like, how do you, how do you as a user get information about the entire market of routers, um, all of the liquidity that's out there and turn that into a single price, a single best price that you can swap over is we, we have a, like we've designed like an auction system effectively. Um, so users would be when, when they, when they join this network, they signal to the network saying, okay, I want, I want to send ETH on so-and-so at a chain on like Arbitrum. And I want to receive USDC on optimism. Um, they would broadcast this to the entire network. And then you would have routers basically submit bids to the user um, for the cheapest price that they're willing to facilitate that transfer for. Um, and uh, as and a that's, user, that's, you basically- That's automated, right? That's not yes, something like people don't have to be like, hey, user request this. And then people are like, well, I'll give them this yield. No, this is an automated thing. Yep, it's fully automated. It would happen, like it's fully non-custodial, fully automated happens for the user. The broadcasting part happens like within their browser. So we, we like from a technical perspective, the way that we like, uh, there's, we, we basically have like a browser node and a server node. Um, and we have two implementations of Connects, which uh, can live in two different environments. And both of those implementations just run our protocols. And one of the protocols would be this like broadcasting mechanism to like say, hey, I want to do an auction and I want to, I'm willing to pay so, uh, like I'm willing to accept uh, fees of up to so-and-so. Um, and, uh, and then on the other side, uh, you have routers uh, and all of these routers are just like servers. Uh, people are running at home. You could run them on a DAP node. Um, eventually, the idea is like they're simple enough that you just spin it up and you don't ever need to touch it. You just throw some liquidity in it and it generates yield for you. Um, and um, and uh, these routers automatically participate in this auction. So like if a router says, okay, well, I actually have this liquidity. Um, I have, uh, you know, in the example that we mentioned before, like I have a lot of liquidity available in USDC on, on Optimism. I don't have a lot of liquidity available in ETH on Arbitrum and I want more liquidity in ETH. I'm going to give so-and-so price and we, we automate this process. Uh, we can actually attach it to an AMM curve. So it is quite literally like Uniswap. Um, and, uh, and in that case, what that means is all of the, the price that the user sees is the aggregated lowest price across all of the routers in the network that are willing to supply that liquidity. That is, that is mind-blowingly cool. I want, I want to, you, I think you just touched on it, but I want to dive deeper into this. Say, um, say there is a imbalance in L2s where like somehow too much USDC and too much ETH is on one specific L2 and we need to rebalance the system because all of a sudden demand is shifting and supply is shifting. How will, how will this system rebalance? And I'm, I'm assuming there's economic incentives involved. How, how does this system uh, self-correct? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question because that's basically like what we've been thinking through in the last two weeks as well. Um, so rebalancing nice. I've, I've caught up all the way to where you guys are now. Look, we started exactly. in 2017 and we're <laughs> at today. <laughs> yeah, it's that's awesome. Yeah, these are these are excellent questions because you've gotten us right to the the, the core of of the, the the problem, the core of everything that we're doing. Um, so 
Um, right now, the way that it works, and this is a giant pain in the ass, is that routers have to manually rebound. So they need to come up with some mechanism to take funds on so-and-so chain and then like move them to so-and-so chain. So like a, a good example is like, uh, we're running, there's like a few people running routers on Matic right now. Um, and they're using that as a way to get into and out of Matic really quickly from Ethereum. Because right now to get into Matic takes like, I think seven to eight minutes and then getting out of Matic takes like up to three hours, which is absolutely brutal for user experience. Um, now, what we've seen is that because ETH gas prices are high, most of the traffic is actually unidirectional. Most people are trying to get off of Ethereum and onto Matic. Um, and so very frequently what ends up happening is if you're running a router that has like, you know, 50K in on the ETH side and then 50K on the Matic side, you end up with like a bunch of transfers in ETH, like coming to you in ETH and you send out a bunch of transfers in Matic and now all of your liquidity is on the ETH side. So you have 100K in liquidity on the ETH side and zero on the Matic side. Uh, and so then you have to do this really annoying thing where you now send funds to the existing Matic POS bridge. Uh, and the good thing is you only have to do this once and you don't care as much about the user experience because you're a router, but to send funds to the existing Matic POS bridge to rebounds. That doesn't work at scale because um, not every pair of chains and every pair of assets has an, a, a way to be rebounded. So for a, a really good example of this is like, we have, we've been speaking to people about running a router on BSC and there's, there's a couple of example routers up there already. Um, and BSC Ethereum doesn't, the bridge is sort of there, not all the time because Binance frequently, frequently shuts down that bridge. So if Binance shuts down that bridge, what do you do about rebalancing? Well, one option that was suggested was, okay, well, you could actually just go and sell your liquidity on Binance um, and then like back into fiat and then buy it back on Ethereum. And now you've rebalanced through fiat, which is which is great. And the problem is, if you're if you're a router doing that, then now you need a high frequency, like high volume trading account because you're moving hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially every day through Binance, um, and that doesn't work and doesn't scale. So what we realized was that like the core problem is that the process of rebalancing is centralized right now. Um, right now, the router needs to be the one that does it. Ideally, what would happen is that you can incentivize users to do it. You can incentivize people to write their own arbitrage bots or to just like see market inefficiencies and, and do this themselves. And, uh, and so we started looking at good examples of how this works in the market and like Uniswap it, and of course other AMMs are the best example of this because the whole idea is like, you know, people for, for unbalanced liquidity, people will be willing to pay, like have more slippage. Um, in order to to like make this trade happen, but on the other side, you have people that will literally earn that will earn money by by rebalancing liquidity back to the the actual price. So like uh, a good example is like if I go to the ETH USDC pool on Uniswap and I buy you know uh, hundred million dollars worth of USDC, um, I've driven up the 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 ratio of those prices. I've driven up the ETH price there according like in perspective of USDC. However, the ETH die price might still be different. So now there is this arbitrage opportunity where a person can go and say, okay, well, I have a bunch of money in ETH. I'm going to go and like buy a bunch of die, um, convert it to USDC somewhere else, and then like sell all of that USDC on Uniswap. And I'm going to rebalance this thing. And by doing that, I'm going to make, you know, a few hundred thousand bucks or something like that. Um, so that's, that's kind of our approach here is that in the long run, the way that we think this network will work is that each router will be attached to their own uh, AMM curve. Um, they will they would all be tracking the balance between different liquidity pools that they are supporting, uh, very very similarly to a Uniswap LP. And uh, as those pools become unbalanced, the swap rate improves uh, in it, you know in one of the two directions. And now because you have this auction mechanism where you're kind of aggregating the swap rates and fees of all of these routers. Uh, 
any user that comes and tries to swap that asset will now automatically be paired with the most unbalanced router. So the network kind of just continually self-rebalances. Really, really interesting and elegant. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. That is so <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get back to this, but I wanted to go on a little, uh, add a little tidbit is like, I was listening to this, uh, planet money podcast forever ago. Uh-huh. And it was, the problem was it, it, it was one of these like, um, bike rental services. I don't know if wherever city you live in, uh, but we have the Uber, Uber bikes, line bikes in Seattle, where you can just hop on a bike, except they, the, the, the company had this massive problem where all the bikes would converge in the same spots over and over and over again right so they had to hire a truck to go drive the bikes and disperse them back into the city which was totally antithetical because if you're just driving trucks so that people can use electric bikes yeah. it doesn't work it's just like well we're now we're just using gas and we're still wasting energy and so what they would do is they would just reduce the costs of of riders or make riding free if you were going to a specific area and so right. they load balance by well if you're dr- taking your bike and going to the same spot everyone everyone else is we're going to increase that cost mm-hmm. and if you're taking a bike and you're traveling to somewhere else that would there there aren't any bikes we're going to make that free and the incentive mechanism worked so beautifully that it, all of the problems like they they didn't have to drive any trucks anymore it was so crazy and this is i think the metaphor plays over pretty well here where yep. if you just need liquidity elsewhere you just make it cheaper you just make it yep. go downhill right you just make it make that the place where it, it uh, converges upon that is so cool that's so awesome yeah, yeah it's a it's a really really interesting thing so i actually like related to, to the example you gave i um when i was in um when i was in high school i worked at this like research lab and there was this really interesting project that they were doing there where like uh they were trying to figure out if you could fix if you could like dynamically adjust tolls on roads to, to, to basically fix traffic forever. And the idea was very, very similar. It was like, if you had a bunch of cars going down a certain road, you would just start charging a toll on that road and you would increase the toll based on like the, the amount of load. And then if you had, uh, if it was the other way around, so if you had areas, of, uh, parts of the city, which were not actually, uh, they were doing this on simulations. If you get parts of the city which are not actually like uh, as frequently used, and not, not a lot of cars were going through, they would actually do the opposite. They would pay you to use those roads, uh, which is really really fascinating because it actually worked out. You could you could like using using very very simple modeling techniques, you could basically beat these like pretty much random systems and like turn them into a, instead of having them be like fully traffic jammed, you could turn them into systems where like all of the traffic was load balanced really well. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so cool. That's so sci-fi. So like humans, <laughs> humans will like go onto like the freeway to I-5 and, you know, I-509, whatever, because of like a shelling point. That's where all yep. the lanes are. But that means that people are abandoning other perfectly good streets. And so with a, with a, in a, with an incentive mechanism that rebalances across loads, we can have equal traffic across everywhere, which is just optimally efficient. And, and I think the city metaphor works out really, really well because yeah. blockchains are economic systems. They are economic cities. They just are virtual and digital. And so the, the, the metaphor is so strong. That is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so Arjun, where does Connects go after this? Or is this kind of like the last stop on the Connect story? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so like, our philosophy, our vision is that we, no matter what happens, we're heading towards this multi-chain world and like, we're all going to have to learn to adapt to it. And I think 
as a result of doing that, we're like, I think Ethereum in general is going to become a much, much stronger ecosystem uh, because it's going to expand beyond just like the Ethereum chain and more towards just like EVM compatibility in general and this like broader ecosystem of standards. Um, and we think that that's really, really powerful and it's worth leading into. Um, our goal for Connects and our vision for Connects is that it ends up being used in the same way that like Uniswap is kind of like the primary mechanism for for uh, swapping between value on the Ethereum blockchain, we our goal is that Connects ends up being the primary mechanism for swapping value between these different chains. And so, uh, and it's not, it, it might not solve every single problem. Uh, you know, there's definitely some kinds of cross-chain communication which will require the lower level, like L1, more complex, more expensive, like mechanism. But um, we think that- The block for space the vast billing majority, mechanisms. Exactly. We think it's, it's, at least for like the liquidity aspect of, of like, beating fragmented liquidity on all of these different rollups, um, Connext is the, uh, honestly, is the only solution because pretty much everything else that's out there either sacrifices trust um, or is very fragmented in, in itself. Yeah, I would, I would like to point out that um, state channels, there is a design of state channels, which is logical, where like if you are a builder of state channels, you will all converge upon the same design. And from what I've yeah. been able to gather, that's what connects has done right it's like if yeah. you are a state channel researcher you will come to the same conclusions as other state channel researchers and yes. that conclusion will be something like connect connects or what you guys are building there um that, that that's Absolutely. pretty cool um so i have to, i have to ask uh does connects have a token connects does not have a token um, does it does it need a token um we don't know possibly uh, at the moment our focus is uh, basically, our, our focus right now is to white glove onboard a few use cases, um, work with them to basically make the process of running a router as uh, like as optimized as possible. We want to make sure that people who are running routers and providing liquidity uh, are going to be earning a lot from it. We want to make sure that those yields are very, very competitive against DeFi because it's not just like passive liquidity provision like Uniswap. You're having to actually run a server or something. So there's there's like a smaller market there that we have to really think about. Um, so that's, that's kind of the first step. And then the next step is to finish building out the rest of this network. Um, our goal is hopefully we can get there within like, uh, I, we found like minimum viable ways to build out pieces of this network so we can get all the functionality before it's all fully decentralized. And our, our goal is to get to that point within the next six months. Um, and to be honest, we actually don't plan further out than that because we found that planning further out that more like further out than a couple of months in this space just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, as a team that has pivoted a number of times, I think that, that, that's a lesson you guys have definitely learned. Um, so out of all of the members in the Bankless Nation and the broader ecosystem, uh, who would you need to reach out? Who, who do you want to reach out to you the most? Like what kind of ecosystem participants could really help out the Connects world? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, at this stage, you know, running a router is hard and it's a pain in the ass and like, uh, I'm fully willing to admit that like, you know, we, we're still trying to figure out the economics. I mean, we, we shipped support for fees yesterday. So it's like, we, we, we are currently figuring out the economics. Um, but at the same time, this is also something that's really, really interesting. Um, I think this is going to like, our, our vision is that this turns out to be like the backbone of value transfer across all of these chains. And like, um, we, we, we are looking for people who want to be a part of that. And uh, we, we, we think that like, people who have liquidity, access to liquidity, um, and who are able to run routers, or maybe maybe even people who are able to run routers who can borrow liquidity, uh, are definitely people we want to talk to. So if there's anyone out there that, um, you know, is interested in doing this, is interested in being this kind of a liquidity provider, definitely hit us up. 
Very cool. So everyone, you, you heard the man. Uh, if you guys are interested in running routers, if you are perhaps technically minded and you have the capital to do so, uh, hit up Connext. Um, Arjun, so since you guys don't have a token, that means you guys haven't fundraised a bajillion dollars because you guys have a token, which means that, I'm, and then from what I can remember, you guys have a Gitcoin. So maybe take this moment to opportunity uh, to shill your guys' Gitcoin. Yes, uh, donate to our Gitcoin. <laughs> cool. Awesome. And then uh, if, if other people just want to join the community and, and learn a little bit yep. more, uh, where should they go? Um, so uh, if you go to our website, uh, connects.network, by the way, it's, it's has not been updated. It is still pointing to all of our old state channel stuff. We just, we've been moving so fast that we haven't had the chance to even like change our marketing materials yet. Um, but uh, if you go to that website, you'll find that there's a chat option. Um, join our Discord chat. Like we are extremely responsive there. It's been growing really, really fast. And there's like a lot of like basically we work really, really closely with our Discord community on pretty much everything. And I think that like that's the best way to get involved if you're interested in the project. Um, yeah. Very cool. I, I want to ha give get my hand a try at chilling your guys's Gitcoin. Um, and, and when I was saying that there are certain constructions of state channels that researchers will converge upon, it's like, oh, they, they researcher A, researcher B, researcher C, they all came up with the same construction. The reason why they came up with that same construction is because state channels are a public good. We need state channels and, and they are something that we can all use. And the more that people use them, the better that they get. When more people use them, the liquidity will be better. The offers will be better. It'll just be a better ecosystem overall. Uh, and making sure that we solve the fragmented liquidity issues behind across L2s and make, making sure that L2s don't actually trap users by keeping them on the L2s and not allowing them to pay the gas fees that are like $200 to get back onto the L1. And instead they can go from L2 to L2 without having to pay exorbitant gas fees. That is extremely democratizing. Uh, and so what I'm hearing right now is that Kinex is building out a public good infrastructure for Ethereum and the greater ecosystem. So that's why you should donate to, to the Gitcoin yes. grants, in my opinion. Thanks, David. That was really helpful. <laughs> cool. Arjun, thank you. This was a fantastic interview. I've already learned so much, and I'm sure the Bankless Nation has learned a ton as well. So I appreciate your time, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. All right, guys, you can you know what to do. Like and subscribe. If you think Connects and Arjun should get to the front page of YouTube, Put those, uh, smash that like button. I'm not a very good YouTuber, I guess, but yeah. And also subscribe. <laughs> we'll call it good here. Thanks, Arjun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much.